From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. We're broadcasting from the Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas, which was the site of FRC's pastor's briefing earlier today. My thanks to Pastor Jack Graham and the Prestonwood Baptist Church for hosting us. Coming up, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was on Capitol Hill earlier today defending the administration's plan to rescind Title 42 the pandemic-related border restrictions. The agency's indifference toward the border crisis while focusing on the other domestic issues raised the ire of some members of Congress, like Florida Congressman Matt Gates. I think it's telling that you got plans for pronouns and you got plans for misinformation, but when it comes to the plan to remove the people that have had due process, you don't have one at all. We'll talk more about that later. Also, yesterday, President Biden spoke at the 2022 National and State Teachers of the Year Award Ceremony, where he accused parents and conservative lawmakers who are concerned about the grooming of children in the classrooms and the indoctrination that is taking place of targeting teachers and banning books. American teachers have dedicated their lives to teaching our children and lifting them up. We had to stop making the target of the culture wars. That's where this is going. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona brought a similar message to Capitol Hill earlier today. What I haven't heard is an appetite from parents for sowing division in our schools or using our schools for culture wars or telling students what they can or can't read or can't learn or telling teachers what they can't teach or telling any person what they can or can't be. We'll be joined by Illinois Congresswoman Mary Miller, who is a member of the House Education Committee in just a moment. And one of today's speakers at our Watchmen on the Wall Pastors Conference was Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Lieutenant Governor Patrick challenged pastors to preach the Bible on the issues of our day and ignore what the critics say. Lieutenant Governor Patrick joins us later here on Washington Watch. And Governor Patrick also shared the good news with pastors that a federal court dismissed the challenge to Texas's pro-life heartbeat law, which allows one of the nation's strongest pro-life laws to remain in effect. The success of the law was its novel approach of allowing private civil action, not government criminal enforcement. We'll talk with the architect of the approach, Attorney John Mitchell, later here on Washington Watch. And finally, David Clawson and Joseph Backholm from the FRC team were a part of today's pastor's briefing here at Prestonwood, and they'll join me later for a conversation about what pastors wanted to know based upon the Q&A session that took place today and the questions that pastors didn't ask but should have. We're going to talk about that later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. I encourage you to visit the site and to share it with your friends. Our verse for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is Joshua 22.5. Now, this was a message from Joshua as he released his battle-hardened warriors after the battles had been fought and Israel was in the promised land. This is what he said, quote, but take careful heed to do the commandments and the law which Moses, the servant of God, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Of, of the many important matters Joshua could have focused on, his instructions made clear that if we get the fundamentals right, 
love God, walk in his ways, keeping his commandments and standing firm in our service to him, well, the other things will simply fall into place. I invite you to join us in our Bible reading plan. Go to frc.org slash Bible. I also enjoy uh, join you. I invite you rather to join me each day for a daily devotional based upon the Bible reading plan. You can find it either at TonyBergens.com or on my Facebook page. As I mentioned, the Biden administration yesterday announced plans to establish a disinformation governance board under the authority of the Department of Homeland Security. Interestingly, it will be headed by Nina Jankowitz, who peddled disinformation herself regarding the Hunter Biden laptop as a Russian plot. This is par for the course from the Biden administration's version of the Department of Homeland Security, which also announced last month it would indulge the transgender lobby by replacing gender-based screening technology at TSA, TSA airport checkpoints. Folks, we have an ongoing disaster at our southern border, and our Department of Homeland Security is establishing a ministry of truth and falling over itself to promote transgender awareness. Joining me now to discuss this dangerous confusion of priorities is Congresswoman Mary Miller. She is a member of the House Education and Labor Committee and the House Agriculture Committee. She represents the 15th District of Illinois. Congresswoman Miller, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. It was announced just yesterday, uh, this plan for a disinformation governance board housed in the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, your response to this? Well, clearly they're just trying to shut down their political opponents and shut down any criticism. And, you know, as you were kind of summarizing the different crises we're facing, it's interesting what they're focusing on. And um, when, when I heard uh, by President Biden say, this moment of maximum urgency or threat and urgency, I think he said, um, and he was referring to climate change. And then of course, they're all about transgendering our children and all this. I mean, the real threat is the border and it's inflation. And Americans know it, they're, but they want to they wanna silence us. Americans can see for themselves um, what the issues are, but they, they are trying to scare Americans from speaking up or communicating about it. You know, Mary, the, the timing of the announcement of this uh, board uh, this uh, Ministry of Truth. Uh, the timing of this, along with uh, tweets and comments made by Secretary Mayorkas and uh, others about Elon Musk's purchase of uh, Twitter, suggests that they're very concerned, what you just said, about Americans having the freedom to speak. Yes. Well, I do think Americans are waking up, which that's encouraging. Um, they are wildly, the Democrats, um, their their policies are wildly unpopular among the Americans. Um, people are feeling inflation in their pocketbooks. They can see that what my daughter lives in um, a community that they've dropped tens of thousands of illegal children off. And I mean, they're seeing for themselves what our government is doing. It's a full scale invasion on the border. And um, I just, I heard my friend, uh, uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer from Moody Church, uh, I, he recently wrote me a little note and he 
said evil never retreats on its own, only when it's confronted by a more powerful force. And, you know, Americans just can't be passive. And I'm encouraged by parents that are getting involved in their schools or going to school board meetings, running for school board. Um, you know, we just need to fight back and we need to use our words. <laughs> yeah, well, not everyone's so excited about that. In fact, yesterday, the president uh, speaking to the 2000 uh, and uh, the 2022 uh, National and Local uh, State Teachers Award Ceremony uh, spoke about parents getting involved, criticizing politicians. He said this. He mm-hmm. said, today, there are too many politicians trying to score political points, trying to ban books. And he went on to say, "Do you ever? did you ever think, speaking to the teachers, did you ever think when you were teaching, you'd be worrying about worrying about burning books and banning books all because it doesn't fit someone's political agenda. Well, I, I want to turn that question around because this is something you've been very passionate about. In fact, yes. you recently published an op-ed in the Washington Times. Did you ever think, think first and second graders would be taught that they can declare their own gender? And if it, uh, and if it, and then it didn't matter what their parents thought, they could do whatever they wanted, first and second graders? Never. In fact, I just said to my uh, one of my staff members, I it just feels like the world is surreal. Like you just can't even believe the topics um, that are being discussed. But Biden has lost all credibility, in my opinion, with regular Americans, and um, they're underestimating Americans and parents and teachers, for that matter. I have family members and friends that are career teachers. And they don't agree with any of this, and they're not going to teach it. And in fact, our local superintendent of schools, he doesn't, he doesn't agree with this at all either. So, um, you know, I think that the uh, Democrats are in for a rude awakening. Americans um, definitely, you know, I think that they're going to fight back when it comes to their children. But, I encourage them in- to. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we're training people to run for school boards and to find out what's happening happening in those classrooms. But uh, you bring attention to this in your op-ed piece, and I think it's something that we we cannot overlook, that the children are being damaged by this agenda. They're being confused. And we're seeing this, I believe, in the CDC's reports of, of unprecedented this unprecedented mental health crisis among adolescents. I, I cannot believe that we can excuse what's happening in the classroom right. and not connect it to this crisis. Right. Well, I would encourage parents to really get involved, be communicating with your children about what's going on in school, how their school day's going. Um, go find out what the curriculum is that your children are um, studying and the books they're reading and um, if it's this offensive material, I say do whatever you need to do. You know, um, you know, talk to your husband about, you know, adjusting your work schedules or whatever, or um, see if grandparents will, if they have extra money to be able to send the kids to a private school. But um, we have to hold the schools accountable. And I think one way is a mass exodus out of public schools. And you can never get your children's their childhood back. And once you know, these bad ideas are put in their head, it'd be really hard to, um, you know, restore that. So I encourage parents, number one, to find out what's going on, and then, um, you know, make bold steps to protect your children. You know, uh, this program doesn't fall into the category of what I call rant radio. Uh, We're not hair on fire trying to scare people screaming and yelling. But I do think we have to emphasize 
the lateness of the hour mm-hmm. and what is happening to our children. And this is not new, but it's we now are aware of it. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been aware of it. We've been trying to warn people. Right. But now the general public is aware. Christians are aware. Pastors are aware. We have to act based upon what we know. Right. I remember listening to a pastor years ago. He said, if you took instinct out of a beehive, you would have chaos. And if you take God out of a society, you would have chaos. And, you know, we're swimming in an abyss of confusion because we've thrown God out. And, um, you know, I, you know, I took my children out of public school years ago and homeschooled them. And one of the things that offended me is that um, they weren't teaching evolution as a theory. It was a fact they didn't, um, they didn't bring God into the classroom at all. In fact, they biased the curriculum against God. I remember actually teaching in a kindergarten classroom and there was, it was, um, it was Abe Lincoln's birthday. And I don't know, I don't know if it's some resource or whatever, but they were talking about how much he liked to read and all the books he liked to read. And of course the Bible wasn't on it. Well, he grew up on the Bible. A lot of his ideas came from there and, you know, uh, materials biased by what you put in it and also what you decide, um, you know, to take out. And parents need to be just, you know, you need to focus on your children. Yeah, no, without question. Congresswoman Mary Miller, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us. And again, thanks for your leadership on Capitol Hill. Thank you. And folks, I I do want to encourage you, just as Congresswoman Miller said, look, your children, you only have them once. They only have one childhood. And as we've talked about many times in this program, a worldview is shaped between 15 months and 13 years. And they want your children even at younger ages. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. 
At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned earlier, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testified before Congress yesterday and acknowledged that he expects illegal immigration to surge in the coming months. Clip four, please. We have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States and interdicted more drugs and disrupted more smuggling operations than ever before. Yet in less than a month, the Biden administration plans to revoke Title 42, the Trump era provisions which allowed the U.S. to immediately expel illegal immigrants due to the pandemic. And recently, the Federation for American Immigration Reform released a report showing the illegal immigration population has skyrocketed by at least one million since uh, President Biden took office. And that illegal immigration has an annual taxpayer cost of $143.1 billion. Uh, Joining us now to talk about this disaster at our southern border and uh, solutions for resolving it, uh, is Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas. Actually, we're trying to connect with him uh, right now. He is uh, on his way to uh, to the airport to fly back to Austin. Uh, but in the meantime, um, I want to go to the issue that he shared with uh, pastors today at our pastors conference, and that is the Texas abortion law, uh, which earlier this week on Tuesday, a federal court uh, allowed to go uh, to remain in effect despite challenges by pro-abortion groups. This law now becomes the strongest pro-life law in the nation. And a part of its success is a novel approach to allowing civil enforcement as opposed to government criminal enforcement. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later as well with the mastermind uh, behind this law. Uh, all right. I think let's. Uh, we're still trying to connect with uh, the, the lieutenant governor. So, you know, like they say, when you're trying to do live programming, you never do it with children, animals, or politicians. We're we're going to actually. Uh, lieutenant Governor Patrick's a great guy. Busy schedule, but I want to I want to shift gears for just a moment. I want to go to uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier 
about the censorship that's taking place. And now we have the Department of Homeland Security uh, engaging in what they call the, what we would call the Ministry of Truth. I'm going to bring in Matt Carpenter, FRC's Action Director, uh, to talk about some ongoing issues with censorship that are taking place. A A complaint was filed by Republican members to the FEC over alleged Google censorship of their fundraising emails. So here to talk about this is FRC Action Director Matt Carpenter. Matt, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on, Tony. All right, uh, tell us more about this uh, complaint that has been filed by the to, with the FEC by the GOP. All right, well, this complaint is only about 24 hours old. Uh, the RNC, which is the uh, National Committee of the Republican Party, as long as the as well as the uh, NRSC, which is the campaign arm of the Republicans in the Senate and the NRCC, which is the campaign arm of the Republicans in the House, filed a joint, um, I guess, complaint with the Federal Elections Commission alleging that Google, their email platform, Gmail, which I'm guessing many of our viewers use regularly themselves, censored as as many as two thirds of the uh, Republican candidates fundraising emails from 2019 until 2020. Uh, Tony, this is this is pretty alarming. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, potentially, of emails from Republican candidates to uh, to potential donors that are just landing in spam folders that are being filtered out. And now this complaint stemmed from actually a report done by North Carolina State University, which did the uh, the legwork here of, of digging this up, and uh, and they compared the, uh, the the numbers I just shared, two thirds of Republican candidates' emails landing in spam folders, to what was happening with Democrat candidates, uh, and found that virtually none of the Democrat candidates' fundraising emails landed in spam folders. So, um, so this this complaint with the FEC is raising this issue of a potential um, illegal activities uh, in corporate in-kind donations to the Biden campaign and Democrats, and it's a very serious one that we should be paying attention to. Matt, this different platform, but it kind of uh, echoes the same criticisms that Elon Musk had of, uh, of Twitter. I mean, this is what we're seeing in the social media world. You're right, Tony. It seems like every day there's some new iteration of this culture war, this, this woke big tech. Uh, you know, we kind of peel back the curtain a little bit more every day. And um, there's certainly something that seems to be going on with Twitter. We're seeing reports of tens of thousands of uh, of followers on some accounts being added and tens of thousands of followers on some accounts being subtracted. Um, it, it's, there's some funny business going on for sure. Uh, and hopefully this complaint uh, brings us one step closer to, to putting uh, Silicon Valley and, and big tech, some of these large, frankly, trillion and a half dollar uh, companies in their place and we can shine a spotlight on them. And I know this will be a midterm issue. I know this is something conservatives and Christians care deeply about, because I think I think they've been feeling some of this as well in their personal lives. I, I want to very quickly shift gears to another breaking news story, and that is in the state of New York, uh, there, con- there was a challenge to their new congressional districts that was thrown out. Uh, Democrats were challenging it. It was thrown out. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was actually a pretty surprising ruling. So back in 2014, uh, New York voters approved a ban on gerrymandering. Uh, they also approved an independent redistricting commission that was charged with drawing new districts at the state legislative level and the congressional level. Uh, and so this is a blue state through and through, blue governor, um, blue legislature, um, blue governor appointing uh, ostensibly uh, liberal justices, which just ruled uh, earlier this week, I think it was yesterday, four to three, 
that, uh, that the state legislative maps as well as the congressional maps um, were partisan, that they were, that they were gerrymandered, that they did not comport with these constitutional requirements. And so they've got to go back to the drawing board. Uh, and it's pretty alarming. Uh, when, you, when you look at how, the, how they, they drew the map originally, um, the state legislature there actually ended up taking over for the uh, redistricting commission because the redistricting commission couldn't do it nonpartisanly. So the state legislature took that power back and they actually aggressively went after GOP districts. And so uh, if you're a Republican, this is welcome news that you might get more of a fair shake come midterms in New York. Well, Democrats will do whatever they can to uh, to try to hold on to some of those seats. Not not good news for them. Matt Carpenter, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thanks, Tony. All right, coming up next, we'll speak with the man who pioneered the legal scholarship behind the Texas Heartbeat Act and ended up arguing it before the U.S. Supreme Court. Stay tuned for more Washington Watch coming your way right after the break. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned earlier this week, a federal court dismissed all challenges to the Texas Heartbeat Act by ruling that uh, because state officials aren't responsible for enforcing the Texas Heartbeat Act, abortion companies are unable to sue the state. And the court then provided yet another win for the pro-life movement. 
This comes as we await the Supreme Court's ruling in the case of Dobbs versus the Jackson Women's Health Organization out of Mississippi. Joining me now to talk about this is the legal mind who laid the groundwork for Texas's Heartbeat Act and provided the roadmap for other states to follow. Jonathan Mitchell, he is the former Solicitor General of the Lone Star State, and he has served on the faculties of Stanford Law School, the University of Texas School of Law, the George Mason University School of Law, and the University of Chicago School of Law. And he has argued five cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, including the Heartbeat Act. Jonathan, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. Good to be with you. Well, first, uh, let me start with this. Your reaction to the federal court's dismissal this week of all challenges to the Heartbeat Act? It was expected, you know, because the Supreme Court of the United States and the Supreme Court of Texas together have already held that there's no one left for the abortion providers to sue. So this ruling we got from the Fifth Circuit earlier this week was just a formality. And in terms of my reaction, I think it shows that we know this tactic works and any state can restrict abortion now as it sees fit without waiting for the Supreme Court to overrule Roe against Wade. All they have to do is copy what Texas did. We have the blueprint. All right, I, I, I gotta step back for just a moment, Jonathan, and ask you this question. I mean, we're, we're nearly 50 years at the decision of Roe v. Wade. How did you come about taking this approach? We needed to try a different approach to what we had been doing before. And what happens under the undue burden standard that the Supreme Court invented, it's a highly vague test it's hard to predict how a Supreme Court will rule when you enact legislation. And what we had been doing in the past was enacting statutes, not knowing whether they would ultimately hold up in court, waiting for the pro-abortion groups to sue the state officials in order to get an injunction, and then have to pay out millions of dollars in attorney's fees if we guessed wrong. We had to change the tactics that we were using and do more to just box out the federal judiciary from even having jurisdiction to consider the cases, and that's what Texas did. Now, Jonathan, is this similar to what we saw back in the 80s? We saw uh, a, a little bit of an attempt, at, I don't think it worked, to go after abortion for liability for committing abortions. We saw for a while that effort was used more in the civil courts, um, mm -hmm. but it never caught traction. What made this different? The difference here is that they're expanding the scope of potential plaintiffs by allowing any person to sue, essentially taking away the state's enforcement power and giving it to private citizens rather than putting it in the hands of state officials. And by structuring the law this way, there's no way for the abortion providers to come into federal court and challenge the statute pre-enforcement because they have to wait for someone to sue them first and then assert whatever constitutional claims they want to make in a defensive posture. So the difference here is that the statute has taken away affirmatively the authority of state officials to enforce the act and given that power instead to the private citizenry. And there's no way for the abortion providers to know in advance who's going to sue them. So that's why they can't challenge the statute in court pre-enforcement. So we're at a point now, the court has dismissed the challenges, but do you anticipate any other challenges from different angles coming at this law in the days and weeks ahead? There are some still challenges pending in federal court and state court, but they don't involve claims for statewide relief. They're individual plaintiffs suing individual defendants. So even if those lawsuits were successful from the standpoint of the abortion providers, they're not going to be able to get a statewide injunction that stops the law from being enforced. And that's really what they need if they want the abortion clinics to start reopening and providing post-heartbeat abortions again. They don't really have any roadmap right now to get to that result, given what happened at the Supreme Court. 
Now, from a cultural standpoint, and I'm not speaking it to, to it from a legal standpoint, I'm going to let you do that, but I would think this really changes the landscape for the Supreme Court as they consider the Dobbs case. I think this sets the stage where the court has to take action to, to push this back to the states. It already has been pushed back to the states because Texas's law has shown that states already can get around Roe against Wade simply by adopting this tactic. So whether the Supreme Court overrules Roe and Dobbs becomes less significant because Texas and later today, Oklahoma, they've just recently passed a similar law that's enforced through private citizen suits. Both of these states have shown other states how they can get around Roe without waiting for the Supreme Court to overrule it. So if Dobbs does overrule Roe against Wade, that will allow states to reinstate their traditional abortion prohibitions that are enforced through criminal law, through conventional public enforcement. But the, the key point to keep in mind is that right now, states have the ability to restrict abortion in any matter they see fit simply by using this enforcement tactic through private civil lawsuits rather than conventional public enforcement by state officials. Well, Jonathan, I think it's brilliant. Um, just uh, we've got 30 seconds left, but do you see this model being used for other aspects of, of uh, law? We'll have to see whether it can go outside the abortion context. It's hard to know because you always have to motivate a legislature to enact a law like this. Legislators are politicians. They respond to political incentives. There were very strong incentives in a state like Texas to enact this law to circumvent Roe against Wade because that decision is not held in very high regard by the Texas legislators. It's hard for me to imagine other Supreme Court decisions that provoke the same type of opposition as Roe. So I'm not expecting this to be used widely outside the abortion context, but it's possible it will if there's future Supreme Court decisions that engender similar type of opposition that Roe against Wade did. All right, uh, Jonathan Mitchell, again, tremendous job. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I uh, appreciate your work. Thanks, Tony. the sanctity of human life. Thank you. All right, up next, folks, two of uh, my family research colleagues, will uh, family research council colleagues, will join me to discuss today's pastor's conference. We'll be talking about questions that pastors asked today and also the questions they didn't ask but should have. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch. After this. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media. 
even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. All of us are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Sherabu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government. In Pakistan, Asif Purvez is on death row for allegedly sending a blasphemous text message. All of this because people in power decided different is dangerous. the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council. We promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the person. Made it worse. But what, what's really behind these alarming numbers? Joining me now to talk about this is Dr. Jennifer Bowens. She is the director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council, who is, has extensive clinical and research experience working with survivors of trauma and abuse. She has also taught on psychological trauma and research methods in several graduate programs. Jennifer, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. Uh, you know, we've heard about this through, uh, you know, this kind of... Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us on this Thursday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources available for you at TonyPerkins.com. By the way, let me remind you, men in North Carolina and anywhere within driving distance, which if you left now, it could be anywhere. Uh, next 
Friday, we will have on the 6th and 7th of May, I should say, we will have our Stand Courageous Men's Conference, High Point, North Carolina. To find out more, go to standcourageous.com. All right, as I mentioned earlier in the program today, I'm not in Washington, as you can see, by uh, for those who are watching, but instead I'm in uh, Plano, Texas for the Watchman on the Wall Pastors Briefing, which was at Prestonwood Baptist Church, and we're in their studios. We're grateful for them hosting us. This was a, trif- a terrific event with uh, dynamic speakers. Uh, we wanted to both minister to our pastors and to challenge them uh, and encourage uh, and challenge them to encourage believers live out their faith boldly. And I'm joined now by two men familiar to Washington Watch, uh, the Washington Watch audience. David Clausen is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. And Joseph Backholm is senior fellow for Biblical Worldview at FRC. And he is my Friday host. You're going to hear from him tomorrow. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me here on Washington Watch in uh, Plano, Texas. Good to be with you. Where's your uh, cowboy hat and boots? <laughs> Left them in the car. Oh, you did. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I did. Yes. I, I want to focus on, um, as I've been talking about from the through the program, some of the questions the pastors ask. I always like questions um, because I think that tells us where people are, what they want to know, and I'd rather focus on what they want to know rather than sometimes just what we want to tell them. What were some of the questions the pastors asked today? Well, the, the one that sticks out to me, Tony, is is the is a question about how do we act in a way so that we are not perceived as an activist church. I think that was the way that was framed. I, I've also heard this as we don't want to be seen as like a Republican church. Right. The worst the worst smear that churches feel like they can have right now is we're an extension of the Republican Party. And so nobody wants to be perceived that way. And the question was, how do you do all these good things culturally? How do we influence the culture without, while avoiding that smear? Right. And, and I think the reality is the answer, the answer is you don't. You uh, because you are in a war right. and there are people who don't like what you're doing. They are going to characterize everything you do in the worst light possible. And that is just a, a shot that is fired in this war. And the only way to not take those shots is to retreat. And that's what they want. Yes. That's exactly right. And so, David, we have a lot of pastors, not ones that were here, because they they were coming, most of them, to be encouraged and to be with like-minded pastors. But there are some pastors, quite frankly, are standing on the sidelines. There are a lot of pastors, unfortunately, Tony. Thankfully, none of the pastors that came to this briefing, one of the reasons they were here is they wanted to get equipped. They wanted to hear from the FRC team. I think part of it, maybe the impulse is good. You know, pastors, they see their job as teaching God's word and they want to, you know, preach and teach and spread the gospel and that's it. But one of the things that I've been trying to encourage pastors all over the country is, you know, the second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And the way you love your neighbor, unfortunately, now it implicates all of these issues, you know, abortion, religious liberty, sexuality. Those are not first and foremost political issues. They're biblical and theological issues that the Bible addresses. Well, they've been that way for- since the beginning of mankind, but what we've seen in the last century, three quarters of a century, we've seen politicians reach in and take these issues and say, well, no, no, these are political issues. You in the church can't speak to these. And then the, the cultural elites label polit- or pastors who speak to these as being politicized. 
The truth is they are political issues in the sense that they are debated in a political environment. And I, and I like to remind people that politics is not a slate of issues. Politics is a process, right. right? It's the process through which we as a community make decisions as opposed to shooting each other. And so it's a helpful process, but the fact that a process is debating abortion or marriage does not make it a quote-unquote political issue. But, but is there anything that's beyond the Bible speaking to it? No, I don't think so. I think the Bible speaks to every issue. Now, does the Bible give, you know, you have to have a 10% tax rate or a 6% tax? No, it doesn't give specific guidance like that. Should a bank robber get two years in jail or three years? It doesn't give prescriptions like that. But the principles that the Bible lays out, Tony, those affect all areas of life, um, in, including you know, uh, the abortion issue, religious liberty, but even just how we treat one another. And so the Bible really gives us a vision for all of life. And that's why 11 months ago, we started the Center for Biblical Worldview to help people realize that everything in life, uh, the Bible has a word for that. And, and, and so our goal is that we don't want the church to be co-opt for political purposes, but we want the, the truth that the church preaches to permeate every aspect of society. And I think that's God's plan. I think that's exactly right. It's it's beginning with the question, what does God think about this? And and as you know, as slaves to Christ, as Paul refers to it often, we are really uh, we don't get to think for ourselves. We don't get to have our own opinions. We conform our mind to the mind of Christ. And so the question is not, is this a political issue? Is this not a political issue? The question is, does God care? If God cares, I care. So let's deal with that underlying issue: the fear of what others think about us as as pastors, as uh, Christian leaders, the fear that will these pejorative terms would be used like homophobic, hateful, bigoted. Um, how do we deal with that? I think what Joseph said on our panel, we were part of a panel earlier with our colleague Brent Kylan, and one of the things, Joseph, I think you said that was so helpful is we need to be willing to sacrifice our reputation. Uh, we, we need to not worry so much about what other people think about us. And this is what, you know, John 15, John 16, mm-hmm. uh, some of the last words that Jesus shared with his disciples was that as they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Same thing that he taught his disciples at Caesarea Philippi when he told them that he was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. What did he tell them? He said, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to take up your cross and follow me. What the call to take up your cross is the call to die. That's what it meant. Yeah, we said so if we, Jesus was persecuted, we shouldn't expect anything less. We we, we overstepped that uh, that element of the cross. You know, it's not some bling that we hang around our neck. It is an instrument of death. Which is why that teaching in the first century would have been so shocking. I think, you know, we've, you read that passage, Jesus there's at Caesarea Philippi, which is actually known as the gates of hell, when he actually gave that teaching. It would have been real shocking for the disciples to hear that. But it, they didn't hear that as a call to, to just, you know, go have fun and make sure people like us. It really wasn't. That would have been shocking teaching to those first I mean, century Christians. Well, in many ways, we are coming back to what the first century church was like in terms of a very hostile, and I'll use this term to probably upset people, but a pagan culture yeah. that it was hostile to the truth and the church had to rise up from that, operate in the midst of that, and as we know, literally turn the world upside down with it. 
That's exactly right. And, and another thing about the first century church, Tony, is it was a polytheistic church. And they didn't object, honestly, to the fact that they worshipped Jesus because there were all sorts of gods that everybody worshipped. What they objected to is that they said there's no king right. but Jesus, right. and they refused to worship Caesar as God. So they don't hate us because we are Christians. They hate us because of the gods we will not worship. Well, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Right. And, and I've always said, as, as believers, we don't, these are not our opinions. So it's not like we have to defend our opinions. We're, if we follow Jesus, we have to believe what he said and embrace what he said. It's his, it's his word, not mine. And so we simply follow what he has taught us. Right. And, you know, some people maybe who are just tuning into some of the issues in our society, you know, the most controversial issue actually, in my view, is not the life issue or issues of sexuality. It's the claims that you, the exclusivity of the gospel, right? That's what Christians have been offensive for over 2000 years. Cause like you said, Joseph, we refuse to bow the knee to Caesar or to a pantheon of gods mm-hmm. of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the church. And that's going to bring persecution. It's going to bring those pejorative labels and we need to, you know, Christians can be offensive in their presentation. We want to guard against that. Yeah. But let's just preach the gospel and p- teach people, here's what God's word said, and let, you know, let people say whatever they're going to say. This is Washington Watch. And as I mentioned, we are coming to you from Plano, Texas at Prestonwood Baptist Church today. We had a Watchman on the Wall Pastors Conference here. Uh, David Clawson and Joseph Backholm, my guest here in this final segment. I want to shift gears for just a little bit because this is a Texas-based issue that was actually brought up today in the pastor's conference. In fact, uh, Dr. Graham brought this up. Baylor University, um, you know, a Baptist uh, (laughs) university, I think, or was, or I don't know how you want to characterize it, but a a piece that came out in the the university paper today talking, actually it was yesterday, talking about abortion and critical of Texas's uh, pro-life law, basically saying, hey, abortion is a a woman's issue. It's her body, hands off. Who are you guys in suits trying to tell a woman what to do? Now, I I wouldn't be surprised if this was coming from the New York Times or this was coming from some Ivy League institution, but this is coming from Baylor University. What's going on? So I did a little bit of digging right before the show, Tony, and it appears that, you know, this is the student paper that's published there on the campus of Baylor University. And I believe the writer, she's a, a, a current student at Baylor. So this was kind of an op-ed, her giving her opinion. And it's clear that the, the view she espouses is, Joseph and I were talking about this, just the personhood theory, uh, the idea that uh, it's not, you know, it's up to a woman decision. The, the baby that's growing inside of her is not a full-born person until a certain point. Uh, clearly a deviation of what scripture teaches on the personhood of the unborn. The Bible from cover to cover, and as has been interpreted for 2,000 years, affirms the personhood of the unborn. All people born and unborn are made in God's image. But clearly from the perspective of this author, uh, she no longer, if she ever did, hold any understanding of what the Bible teaches on this issue. Okay, but what does this say about our institutions of higher learning where many parents are sacrificing to send their kids to get a quote-unquote Christian education? 
Well, we don't know that you know, this author may have gone into Baylor with, with hopefully went in with this pagan worldview and didn't learn it there, right? That's the hope. And in, in giant but, universe, but shouldn't it have been changed? Well, confronted with the truth. Yeah, you'd think so. But what this is revealing is, you know, it, this is the classic. The summary of this is my body, my choice. Right? That's yeah. the argument that they make. And the Christian response to that is, it's not your body. So it's not your choice, and that's really the, the the conflict. It's a religious difference. Well, as as believers, we belong to Christ, right? And we know that this is a separate life. It has. I mean, we can go through the science of it to speak to that issue, but this idea that it has no effect upon the rest of society, the fact that we would devalue human life, I would argue, and I, I come at this as a you know former police officer who's been on the streets and seen the results of violence, that as we have dehumanized and we have devalued human life in the womb, mm -hmm. we also devalue it on the street, yeah. in the classroom, and all across America. Tony, one of the things that came up during the summit today was the fact that George Barna's research has showed that 39% of Americans affirm the statement that human life is sacred. And that, of course, has huge implications for the abortion issue, but it's got human, it's got implications for every other issue as well. And we see the disrespect for human life in so many ways. We're almost out of time. Uh, Joseph, you know what the clock means. Uh, but there's a project that uh, you're working on. Yeah. 20 seconds. Yeah. Tell us Be about because we're hearing more and more stories about students going to these Christian schools and maybe not coming out with a Christian education. Joseph and I are working right now on a tool you learn about it at frc.org slash worldview. That's going to give a grade and a report for every Christian school in America. We're going to rate them on do they uh, have they capitulated to the culture or are they being faithful to Christian convictions and confessions? So you can see that in the next couple of months, frc.org slash worldview email if you want to sign up to learn more about and get updates on that project. So that's an ongoing project that'll be coming out in a few months. And uh, parents, great resource for you to determine what schools are actually teaching the Bible and remaining true to the truth. Joseph, David, great to have you on the program. Great to have you here in Texas today. Thanks Thank so much. You, Tony. And uh, you'll be back tomorrow. I will be. <laughs> and I won't. Folks, thanks so much for joining us as well. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-866. 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.